This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight, I want to introduce you to a character in Scripture. And he's not the most well-known. In fact, some of you may have never heard of him before. Uh, But this guy had a privilege that relatively few people have had. And that is that God addressed a message straight to him. Can you imagine what that would be like? We have God's word and what a blessing it is to have God's word. But imagine if God says, this message is for you. And I'm going to attach your name to it. I'm, I'm talking to you now. Well, that's what happened with this, with this guy we're going to look at tonight. He had that privilege. And God had something to say to him that bears repeating because it has a real bearing on us today. We aren't going to jump straight to that message from God. Uh, I want to introduce you to this guy first. So I want to ask you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 36. We're going to take a little bit of a journey through the book of Jeremiah as we get to put some different passages together and and piece together an incomplete portrait of this man. So as we come to Jeremiah 36 and our first glimpse of this obscure biblical character, the setting is Judah, the nation of Judah under the reign of King Jehoiakim. The final fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians is less than 20 years away. There will be two more kings who will come to the throne after Jehoiakim uh, before that final fall of Babylon. But each of them will just continue to lead Judah more and more away from God, and they'll hasten the nation's fall. But throughout those 20 years, from where we're at here in Jeremiah 36 to that fall of, of Jerusalem to Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah is going to continue to faithfully minister and share God's word. As we come to Jeremiah 36, uh, the prophet Jeremiah is probably about 50 years old now, and he's already been ministering for for many years before this point, and he's made some enemies. There are some people who don't like the straightforward preaching that Jeremiah shares, and uh, he's met with some, some pretty serious opposition already in his ministry. So here we are in Jeremiah 36. It's the fourth year of King Jehoiakim's reign, And 50-year-old Jeremiah receives a charge from God. Let's take a look at it here in Jeremiah 36. Beginning in verse 2, here's what God says. Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So God is telling Jeremiah here, I want you to take all the prophecies that I've given you up to this point, and I want you to to write them down. I want them to, to be compiled together on this scroll. And... I want that to be a testimony to the nation of Judah so they can read all these judgments that you've already preached about and they can say, wow, maybe we should turn back to God. So that's what God tells Jeremiah to do. Now, Jeremiah himself was likely completely capable of writing all of this down himself. But in verse 4, he employs the services of a scribe. Perhaps he's doing that because it'll seem more official if the documents are written up by someone who's authorized to prepare legal documents. 
uh, as, as this scribe was. But whatever the reason, Jeremiah brings this man into the story. And here in verse 4, we meet Baruch. Take a look at verse 4 with me. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. So this is straightforward. Jeremiah is dictating, Baruch's writing it down. Jeremiah speaks, Baruch writes. Jeremiah speaks, Baruch writes. All right? Uh, pretty straightforward. I don't know, but I imagine that Baruch thought that's the job. Jeremiah is going to talk. I'm going to write it down. Once he's done talking and I'm done writing it down, the job's over. Not quite. Verses 5 through 7. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore, go thou and read in the roll, which thou hast written from my mouth, the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also, thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. It may be... They will present their supplication before the Lord and will return everyone from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against this people. So Jeremiah says, so we've got the message written down, but there's a problem. Jeremiah has been barred from going into the temple. Now, the temple was Jeremiah's favorite place to preach. When he had a message to share, he'd go to the temple. Usually, he'd stand in one of the gates, and he'd preach the message. It's a place where there's lots of people. There's a lot of traffic. Uh, that's where people are coming to worship the, the Lord, so it's a good place to hear the word of God. And that's where Jeremiah liked to preach. Well, people knew that, and I don't know if this is a command that came from the king or what, but somebody said, Jeremiah, you're not allowed to go to the temple anymore. No more preaching at the temple. So Jeremiah says, I'm shut out. I can't go to share this message from God. And he looks around. Who's around? Hey, this guy that I just got to write all this stuff on a scroll. Here he is right here. And uh, so he says to Baruch, here's the situation. You go and read, read this message from God to the people. Well, Baruch does it. He goes to the temple, he reads the words in the book, it, just like Jeremiah would do. He goes to one of the gates where all the people can hear, and he reads this, this collection of prophecies. Well, that gets the attention of some of the government officials. And so these officials come, and they call Baruch and say, we want you to come, and, and we're going to meet together, and we want you to read this book to us, read the role and all these prophecies to us. And so that's what happens. This group of official get, official, officials gets together. Baruch reads through the book to them. Well, they're very interested in this. They realize the, the, what it has to say about their nation and, and what's going to happen. And they say, the king needs to hear this. The king needs to hear what is in this book. He, he needs to hear these prophecies. And so... They, they say, we want, this, we want you to give us the role so we can take it and read it to the king. And they ask Baruch, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? And Baruch gives a pretty straightforward answer. He says, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. I, I think they're trying to ask Baruch, what was your part in this? And he basically says, Jeremiah said it, I wrote it down. That was my part. Well, the government officials know Jehoiakim is not a guy who likes to hear God's word, and he's not going to like this message. And so um, he, he's no friend of Jeremiah's. He's no lover of God's truth. And so they warn Baruch, 
go back to Jeremiah, and both of you need to go into hiding. Because there's probably going to be repercussions from this message. Now, it's, it feels kind of like one of those don't shoot the messenger kind of situations. It's like, all I did was write down the, the words that, that Jeremiah told me. Why am I in trouble? But Baruch's been implicated in the whole thing. They say, you need to go with Jeremiah. You need to go hide. Well, they bring uh, the role to, to, Jer- to Jehoiakim, and this is a pretty well-known story. They're reading, they're reading these prophecies to King Jehoiakim, and after they read through three or four sheets, he, he snatches it out of their hands. He takes a knife that he has right there. He cuts it into strips, and he throws it into the fire. That's what he thinks about the word of God. And then he tells them, you go find Jeremiah and find Baruch and arrest them. And I love what Jeremiah 36, 26 tells us. It says, but the Lord hid them. They go into hiding, but who was doing the hiding? Well, the Lord was doing it. So he watches over them in this. But think about all of this. Jeremiah and Baruch are in hiding. They're waiting for this storm to pass. And God once again speaks to Jeremiah. He tells him um, to, to once again dictate all of these prophecies to Baruch. Verse 32 of, of Jeremiah 36, Then took Jeremiah another role and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there was added besides unto them many like words. So they repeat this whole exercise and then add some on. And so you've got a recreation of the original book, and, uh, and it's got, it's got some, some, uh, some notes from the author added to the end. But think about all of this and how it all unfolded. What a way for Baruch to enter the story. It seems so innocent at first, right? He's just coming. He's just going to do this job for this prophet, and then presumably you know, maybe Jeremiah is paying him. Maybe he's doing it for free. I'm not sure. He finishes the job, says bye to Jeremiah, and it's over. And all of a sudden, here he is in hiding with the prophet. And I can imagine what Baruch might have been thinking or feeling at this point. He could have felt like, wow, I really made a mistake here. I should have, when, when Jeremiah said he wanted me to be his scribe, I should have said no. Or when he told me he wanted me to take the book and read it out loud, I should have stopped there. I should have said, I'll write it down for you, but I'm not going to be a part of the public ministry. And yet here he is, now he's hiding from the king because of what he's done to help this prophet. And all of a sudden, the destiny of these two men has become intertwined. And Baruch, whether he realized it was going to happen or not, has become forever associated with this hated prophet. It all might have felt disappointing, discouraging. It all might have felt like a missed opportunity, especially when you understand something about Baruch's family. There's an interesting little tidbit in Jeremiah 51. This is much further along in the story uh, when we get to chapter 51. Um, In fact, this chapter comes after the city of Jerusalem has already fallen to Babylon. The people of Judah are getting ready to go into captivity in Babylon. And in this chapter, Jeremiah gives a a message from God. 
And interestingly enough, this message is actually all about Babylon. It's all about the fact that God is going to judge Babylon. Babylon at this point is feeling pretty good about themselves. All the prophecies against Judah have come true. They've been judged. Babylon has been uh, used by God to bring about that destruction, that judgment. But now Jeremiah says in chapter 51 that Babylon is going to experience the same thing. God's going to judge Babylon too. Well, that's the, the message of chapter 51. But then Jeremiah takes all of that and he gives it to a man named Sariah. And he tells Sariah that he wants him to take this message and, and bring it with him to Babylon. Sariah is part of the, the group of Jews who are going to be taken into captivity in Babylon. And Jeremiah says, I want you to take this prophecy. I want you to bring it with you to Babylon. When you get there, I want you to tie a stone to it. And then I want you to throw it into the Euphrates River. And when you do that, I want you to say, thus shall Babylon sink. All right, it's an image of the fact that destruction is coming to this nation of Babylon. And you might say, what, when in the world does all this have to do with Baruch? Well, there's something interesting about this guy, Sariah. Uh, take a look with me at verse 59 of Jeremiah 51. It tells us a little bit about Sariah. It said, the word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Maaseiah, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, into Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And this Sariah was a quiet prince. So it tells us um, that he was a quiet prince, and it talks about him going with Zedekiah. It sounds like he's part of Zedekiah's court. Now, Zedekiah was the final king of Judah. He's the one that really messed everything up in the end. And, and caused Babylon to come and destroy Jerusalem and, and take them into captivity. Whatever exactly this term prince means, um, it tells us that he was in some sort of a position of authority uh, or prominence. And so Sariah is not just some servant down here. He's somebody who's important in the government. He's part of the, the king's court, if you will. All right, so Sariah... Is, is an official in the government. He's got some status. He's got some importance in the eyes of the people. But that's not all this tells us about Sariah. It also says he was the son of Neriah, who is the son of Maseah. Any guesses who else we meet in scripture who's also the son of Neriah, who is the son of Maseah? Baruch. In other words, Sariah was Baruch's brother. So this guy who's going to be taking this message back to Babylon for Jeremiah, um, he's got a brother named Baruch who was the one who wrote all this stuff down for Jeremiah however many years ago, 20, 20 or whatever. So think about this. Baruch and Sariah's lives took very different paths. Uh, Sariah ended up in the king's court. Baruch ended up hiding out with an unpopular prophet. Sariah became apparently pretty prominent. Uh, the kind of person somebody would look up to and say, you have a successful career. You've gotten to a position that means something. Meanwhile, Baruch, it would say, well, it seems like you threw your gifts away <laughs> with this guy, Jeremiah. When presumably, if you'd 
if you'd worked things a little bit differently, you could have ended up with your brother in the king's court. Maybe all of this is going through Baruch's mind as he's hiding out with Jeremiah. Maybe not. But there are some things in Scripture that would suggest that he's thinking about his future and thinking about the fact that maybe, from one perspective at least, he's thrown his future away by throwing in his lot with Jeremiah. But the story of Baruch doesn't end here. Whether out of necessity or because of something else, Baruch does continue to show up in Jeremiah's life. So in Jeremiah 32, there's another interesting chapter in the prophet's life. Now, this is going to be a little bit confusing, okay? Jeremiah 32 comes about 18 years after Jeremiah 36. Now, you might say that does not make any sense, all right? I'm just going to tell you now, and this will help you with your Bible study. The book of Jeremiah is not in chronological order. If you try to read it in chronological order, if you try to put everything in chronological order, it's going to not make sense, all right? Some of the chapters, like these two, 32 and 36, give us specific dates within the reign of certain kings, and so we can kind of build a timeline that way. But you've got you to take the time to dig in and learn who the kings are and what order they are in, but I, believe me, it's worth it, all right? So that said, Jeremiah 32 is coming about 18 years after Jeremiah 36. Now, Jeremiah 36, just to recap, that's where Jeremiah hired Baruch and said, write all these words down, and Baruch wrote all the words down, okay? Now, about 18 years later, Jeremiah 32, um, things are looking a little bit different. At this point, Zedekiah is the king of Judah. The Babylonian army is surrounding Jerusalem. The city is under siege, and the situation looks pretty grim. And also, Jeremiah is in jail. And in this chapter, as the end is clearly near for the city of Jerusalem, Babylon is about to break through and, and completely destroy and completely conquer, Jeremiah does something that most people who are in jail during a siege wouldn't dream of doing. He buys some land. So Jeremiah's cousin offers to sell him a piece of land. And uh, he, he makes this offer sound really great, but anyone with, with any sense is going to realize this guy's just trying to offload the land because Babylon is about to take over. But he comes to Jeremiah, as Jeremiah is in jail, and gives him this offer. He says, here's this land. Um, it's, it's your right by inheritance to be the first one to get a chance to buy it. Don't you want to buy it? And Jeremiah says, yes. Now, Jeremiah is acting under the command of God here, but he, um, he moves ahead. He buys this land, and he does it right. As you read through, you see that Jeremiah called witnesses. He wanted to make sure there were people to see this, this purchase take place. He made sure there was a scale so that they could carefully weigh the amount of silver that needed to be paid for the land. And he also makes sure that there's someone there who can properly write the legal documents to say this purchase is being made the right way. So that those documents, can, there can be one public document and one that's sealed 
so that there's no question this land has been sold to Jeremiah. And guess who Jeremiah calls in to be that guy to draw up the legal documents? It's Baruch. Jeremiah says in verses 13 to 15 of Jeremiah 32, And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, the evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed, and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. There's a message in this land purchase. The message is this. Yes, it looks really bad. Babylon is outside the gates. The fall of Jerusalem is imminent. But God is promising that this is not the end. He's promising that a day is coming when the people of Judah will once again be owning and buying and selling land. It's not all over for them. That's why it's not meaningless for Jeremiah to purchase this tract of land, even though Babylon's about to take it all over. Because the day is coming when it will once again mean something to own land in Judah. God is saying, I've got a plan going forward, and even though the destruction's coming, even though the judgment's coming, I'm not over with you. But imagine, this guy is in jail, and here he is saying this about Everybody knows Babylon's right outside the walls. Everybody knows what Babylon does when they conquer a nation. They don't just come in and, and knock them out and say, okay, now go do your thing. They know that they're going to be taken captive. They know that it's over. And here's Jeremiah saying, no, it's not over. God's going to restore the nation of Judah. And I can just imagine the people in that prison courtyard laughing at Jeremiah once again, Jeremiah is saying something ridiculous. Once again, he's saying something that completely goes against our eyes, our senses, what we know is going on. And here's Baruch, standing right next to him, sharing in all the derision, writing up legal documents for this land purchase that clearly means nothing. But there he is, taking the laughs, taking the scorn, standing beside Jeremiah. He shows up, he does his part, he serves Jeremiah faithfully once again. But there's more. Baruch still has a part to play in this drama. So turn with me now to 3. As we come to chapter 43, Jerusalem has fallen. Jeremiah's many prophecies have come true. And the people of Judah, including Baruch's brother Sariah, have been taken off to Babylon. Now, Jeremiah was spared in this. Uh, his reputation had preceded him. And the Babylonian, Babylonian officials specifically allowed Jeremiah to be free to choose where he wanted to go. I love that part of the story. That here they are taking everybody into captivity. And they come up and they say, Jeremiah, we've heard about you. It's up to you. You can come to Babylon if you want or you can stay here. You're free to go. He's the one who's been hated. He's the one who's been attacked by his own people. And here the Babylonians are saying, go wherever you want, Jeremiah. But they do that. He's free. And there's a very small group of Jews that are left in the land. 
And this group kind of gravitates to Jeremiah. Because clearly his prophecies have come true. Clearly he's been speaking for God all along because everything he said has happened no matter how ridiculous it seemed at the time. And so they gravitate to Jeremiah. They realize this guy speaks for God. We want to hear from him. We want to know which way to go. And so they have this plan. They want to go down to Egypt because Egypt is this powerful, this world power at the time. And they they figure if we go down to Egypt, we'll be safe from Babylon because Babylon's not going to mess with Egypt. And that way we won't have to worry about them coming and conquering the few of us who are left. Well, they've got this plan made up, but they respect Jeremiah. And so they go to Jeremiah and they ask him, uh, what should we do? What, should we go down to Egypt? Should we stay here? What should we do? Tell us what God has to say. And Jeremiah's answer is very clear. They must not go down to Egypt. Or they will meet their end there. He's very clear. Multiple times as he's answering them here in this chapter, he tells them, don't go down to Egypt. They need to trust in God, and they need to remain in the land. Now, finally, you might think, somebody's going to listen to Jeremiah. All right? All along, people have been ignoring Jeremiah, ignoring Jeremiah, ignoring Jeremiah. But these guys get it. They've been there to watch all the prophecies come true. They respect Jeremiah. Finally, this group will listen to what he has to say. They'll obey the word of God. Well, no. Here's what they say in the beginning of chapter 43. And it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words, then spake Azariah the son of Hoshiah and Johanan the son of Kareah and all the proud men saying unto Jeremiah, thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. And you think, what? This is exactly what people have been doing all along. They've been saying, nope, that's not the word of God. They come to ask for the word of God, and when they don't get the answer they want, they say, nope, you're wrong. That's not what God said. And you say, how could they say this after all this time with the prophet Jeremiah? And, and, and here they are acting like they respect him, and now they're telling him he's not speaking the word of God? Well, they make an excuse. Verse 3, and it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking, I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. That's verses 1 and 2. All right, 43. This is why you double check your notes. All right, verse 3, here's what they say. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us, for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. They said, we understand it's not your fault, Jeremiah. It's Baruch's fault. He made this up because he wants to see us taken over by the Babylonians. It's ridiculous. But they're blaming Baruch. But you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that Baruch is still hanging around? I mean, it's not like Jeremiah has to be in hiding anymore. It's not like Baruch is in trouble with the king anymore. It's not like he has to be in with Jeremiah. We don't see anything about a job that Jeremiah is having him do. But there he is. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch to imagine from this that Baruch has become to Jeremiah more 
than just a trusted scribe that he can hire every once in a while for a job. It seems instead that he's become a companion, an assistant, a friend. Johanan and these other proud men, as scripture calls them, ignore Jeremiah's words. They gather together the remnants of the people that still remain at Jerusalem, and they lead them down to Egypt. And with this group, whether willingly or because they're constrained to come, we're not sure, there are two men named in particular in verse 6. Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch the son of Neriah. And thus it is that Baruch, like Jeremiah, fades off to an unknown fate. They go down into Egypt, and we're not sure what happened to them there. We read no more about them in scripture. There are different stories about what happened to Jeremiah. It seems likely, though, that both Baruch and Jeremiah died in Egypt. But look at this man. We don't see everything about his life, but think about what we know of Baruch from Scripture. His life held so much promise, and instead he seems to have thrown it away on a lonely prophet that nobody liked. He used his talents not to serve kings, but to record unpopular messages of judgment. We look at Baruch's life, and we can easily contemplate what it could have been. This is the path that Baruch took, but how much greater could it have been if he had taken a different path? If he had taken the path that could have led him to more success, to a higher position, to a greater realm of influence, where might Baruch have ended up if he'd gone a different direction instead of sticking with Jeremiah. But remember, I told you at the very beginning that God spoke a special message straight to this man, Baruch. So I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah 45. Now, as we turn to Jeremiah 45, we're, we're jumping back in time. All right, this is happening at the same time as chapter 36. That was where we started tonight as Jeremiah was giving this message and Baruch was writing it down. Well, Jer Jeremiah 45 falls right after Jeremiah has dictated this whole message to Baruch for the first time. Baruch has not gone out to speak the message yet. He's not had to go into hiding with Jeremiah yet. All that he's done so far is write down the message that Jeremiah dictated to him. And after that happens, God has a message for, Jeremiah, for, for Baruch. Through Jeremiah, God speaks to Baruch. Thus saith the Lord, this is verse 2, the God of Israel unto thee, O Baruch, thou didst say, woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. So Baruch sees grief and sorrow and sighing and no rest ahead of him. He's looking ahead and already he's saying the future does not look good. Apparently, even from the beginning, he realizes I'm casting in my lot with this guy and it's not going to go well for me because of that. I'm going to experience sorrow. I'm going to experience a difficulty. It's not going to be fun. 
And even before he really starts down this path with Jeremiah, it seems like he can catch a glimpse of the future and he knows what's coming. Verse 4, Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold, that which I have built will I break down, and that which I have planted I will pluck up, even this whole land. So God's reminding Baruch that all of this that you see around you is going away. He's reminding him that this land, including the kings and the officials, all of it's going to be destroyed. All of it's going to be conquered. All of it is temporary. But then he gets really personal with Baruch in verse 5. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord, but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. God is saying that Baruch's life will be preserved when the judgment comes. God will reward his faithfulness. But here Baruch is faced with a choice. Here at the beginning, it seems like it would still be possible for him to, to pull out, to distance himself from the prophet Jeremiah, to continue on to a good career and comfort, prosperity and success. Or he can throw all of that away as he throws in his lot with the prophet of God and faces ridicule and opposition, possibly even physical attacks or imprisonment. I, for one, am glad that Baruch heeded God's words and chose not to seek great things for himself. Instead, he chose the path of faithfulness, the path of obedience. Did Baruch make a name for himself? Now, how many of you knew his name before tonight's sermon? Just a few of you. So in one sense, you'd say, absolutely not. Most people in the world have not heard of Baruch. But it is interesting, isn't it, that if Baruch had risen to the point of being the top scribe in the land, we would probably read far less about him in Scripture. And at best, he would be a footnote in the pages of history. But since Baruch didn't make the front page, he did make a lasting impact. Think about this for a moment. It's likely that Baruch, it's because of Baruch that we have the book of Jeremiah. No, he didn't get the credit. His name's not on the cover. But as Jeremiah spoke, he faithfully wrote and wrote and wrote. And it makes me think, how many people through history have been essential to the work of God, and we've never heard of them. Who, who cleaned the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Charles Spurgeon preached? Any of you know? I don't either. Who carried the luggage for D.L. Moody as he traveled around preaching the gospel? Who assisted George Mueller at that orphanage for children? History gives us the headlines, but there are millions of people who do not have recognizable names to us, whose labor in the shadows, supporting and helping and making things happen, has been essential to see the work of God carried forward. 
And I don't think we can overemphasize the encouragement that Baruch gave to Jeremiah. It's not clear whether or not Baruch accompanied Jeremiah for those full 20 years between Jeremiah 36 and that departure to Egypt. I don't know how many of those 20 years Baruch was by Jeremiah's side, but we can at least tell from Scripture that at the end, he was Jeremiah's faithful companion. I lean, I lean towards guessing that he probably stuck with Jeremiah much throughout that period, continuing to write down prophecies and continuing to serve as his companion. And it's not possible to put into words what it means to have someone rooting for you when it seems the whole world is against you. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says this in verse 16. He says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. He says, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. And he goes on to rejoice, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. But it makes your heart sink to hear that phrase. All men forsook me. It's clear from Jeremiah's writings that he knew the sting of loneliness. He knew what it meant to feel that the whole world was against him. So what did it mean to Jeremiah to be able to say, all men forsook me except Baruch. Baruch stood with me. Baruch might not go down in history as one of the greats, but he fulfilled an important God-given task. And if at the end of my life it could be honestly said of me, he did what God wanted him to do, it doesn't matter who remembers me. It doesn't matter if I get my name on a building or I get a book dedicated to me. <coughs> to be faithful is good enough. So forget all the hogwash about making a name for yourself or leaving your mark. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. Where does God want you? And what does God want you to be doing? Be there and do that. Amen. Faithfulness, that's what God wants and that's what he rewards. Very few among God's children are called to be a Jeremiah. But we can all be a Baruch. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the testimony in your word about this little-known man. Thank you for the reminder it is to us. We're bombarded with calls to make sure that we are known, make sure that we are recognized, make sure that we're celebrated. And Father, all that you call us to do is simply to obey and follow you faithfully. Lord, help us to take that message to heart. Help us let all of the rest of it go to the side as we just faithfully follow you. Help us seek you with all our hearts. Help us be used in your work, whether it's in a way that people notice or not. Just help us be faithful. We love you. We're grateful for the opportunity to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. 
And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.